ever felt like you need a brain transplant? I think I need a brain transplant every day I get off. That's why coffee is there, right? <laughs> anyway, welcome again to the podcast and we're going to be listening to session number five of our holiday series with David Watts and the training that he did with us in April 2016. In this session, David talks about our need for brain transplants, the counterintuitives of movements, and he shares with us a number of uh, paradoxical statements uh, his church planners have developed when it comes to seeing movement. And these include go slow to go fast, or focus on a few to win the many, and uh, start with creation, not Christ. And obedience is more important than knowledge. Anyway, some great uh, statements here for us to uh, encourage us as, as we start to look at uh, the importance of uh, getting a movement mindset that helps us focus on multiplication that will go generations. God bless as you start to listen to and have your brain transplant happening as you listen to David. Let's do the counterintuitive uh, slide. Counterintuitives are paradoxical statements that, that we have in our work. And we didn't recognize this until actually some African brothers started sending me notes that, that had these little phrases in it. And I started, okay, where's this coming from? And then I realized these were the things that were the opposite of what they thought. And the first one is go slow to go fast. Shallow leaders are not going to lead a movement. You have to invest heavily in leadership. I said it several times. You think in terms of investing for four years in a leader. Now, the church planting and the disciple making is going on during that four years. And as they learn new things in that process, they have different feedback and different questions. But that four years of, of going slow with a new leader and actually looking at it from not have I introduced this material to them, but are they competent? Competence is the only only measure of whether someone has material or not. It's not that they have a certificate or they've gone to class or they can pass a test. It's are they are they competent? Are they are they doing what what we intend to see them doing? And that just takes time. Now, the amazing thing is it goes fast because each one of those guys start mentoring five or ten others. I've had some guys mentoring as many as 15 other leaders at the same time. And, and, they, will, and they, they literally skyrocket past us. Now, I'm going to talk a bit about mentoring later, and I want you to, the reason I'm saying that, you're going to, I want you to show, see the difference because the fuel that moves movements is mentoring. If you're not reproducing, if you're not reproducing disciples and leaders and groups and even movements, then you're not moving, you're not going anywhere. And stop is not the same as going slow. Not being successful is not the same thing as going slow. Slow, there's progress. Or we just had a, just had a situation um, in our in our hunting management system in Texas. Uh, they young young bucks are tagged, and recently a, a buck was harvested, and the 
And the thought among all of us was that deer live about 8 to 10 years. This buck was 25 years old and 900 miles away from where he was tagged. In 25 years, he moved 900 miles, approximately 1,500 kilometers, and, and was still reproducing. So slow is not the same as stop. I want you to, but it, but you can go fast and spend the time investing. Focus on a few or even one to reach many. We focus on that person of peace to reach their family and their oikos, their community. All of us, sociologically speaking, on average, relate to two hundred different people in the course of our life. I mean, right now, I relate to approximately 250 people. Uh, And so if that person is a doorway into that 200, 250 people, then we reach that person and train them how to do the work inside there. It's going to go much further than than we go. So we focus on individuals. We focus on small groups. We focus. And you say, well, wait a minute. You didn't say focus on individuals. I said, no, the, the individual is the doorway to a community. We don't stop at the individual, but we do invest in those individuals who are going to take us into the doorways and into the groups. That's where we invest our time. If a person, so here's the test. I'm working with a guy, I'm talking to him. I say, go talk to this with your, with your family and, and come back and let me know what you, what you heard from them. Because I never want to do anything in secret. I'm not about secret Christianity at all. Uh, I, I don't do it, I don't teach it. I ask them to take it to their family, talk over their family, the spiritual things they're learning. If they come back, you know, the question is, well, how did it go with your family? It's, mm, no, I didn't, I didn't get around to it. About two or three weeks of that, I say, I start breaking the tie. I start lengthening. And you say, that soon? Yes, that soon. If they're not obeying within the first few weeks, they're never going to obey. Matter of fact, my experience is if they haven't obeyed in 24 hours, they're not going to. And so why would you want to waste your time? That's another one of the things that Satan does to us. He uses our hearts and our compassion to keep us stuck in one place so the people down the road never hear the gospel. We had an event happen this is several years ago. Uh, our evangelist entered a village and, and began to, and they very open to learning about the gospel, and they hit one point once they realized who God was, and the women began wailing, just literally wailing in grief. And our evangelist working there says, uh, what's happening? He says, why didn't you come sooner? And they go, what do you mean, why didn't you come sooner? He says, well, three weeks ago, the witch doctor said we had to sacrifice our babies in order to have a good harvest this year. So all the babies were thrown in the river. If we had known this three weeks ago, that wouldn't have happened. See, your delay may have more consequences than you think it does. And these evangelists, we had to work with them a long time because they had spent eight weeks in a place that was showing no fruit before they walked to this place. Don't be afraid to move on. If people are interested, they will chase after you. And they won't chase after you because of your money or your riches. They'll chase after you because you're a friend of God. And they understand there's something special about being a friend of God. And they want to become a friend of God. 
So this moving on thing and focusing is, is really, uh, really important. Share only when and where people are ready to hear. Listen, I get the whole concept of sowing broadly, but I have a little bit different interpretation of the parable of the sower. The reality is, is that sower was an idiot. <laughs> he was throwing the seeds on the path, he was throwing it in the rocks, he was throwing it on thin soil. There's not a farmer I know that does that. <laughs> And when I when I tell that story to farmers, they go, "What an idiot! Why would why would anyone do that? You put your seed where the, where it's going to grow and get a harvest from it." And so we we call it you know, the parable of the of the soils or something like that. But they come back. It is the parable of the sower. The sower was getting a little bit of fruit, but he's wasting a lot of time and effort in three places where there wasn't. Trying to till, trying to hoe, trying to all these things. So again, that came out of my interaction with farmers in, in an African context. They thought this guy, the sower, must really be an idiot to be throwing a seed in those places. Uh, but share when and where people are ready to hear. You know. Well, I, again, I talk in such a way to people that I don't know well to get them to ask me questions. When people ask questions, it, it starts dialogue. And when they start the dialogue, they're more obligated to continue the dialogue than if I start the dialogue. And that's part of the process, is learning how to judge, how to get people to ask you questions, and then if that conversation doesn't move past them to their family, that I know this is a dead end. I'm not, I'm not going to be here. Even in our radio and television ministries, when you write into our radio television ministries, our, our response people are trained not to give answers to any questions. They send back a passage of Scripture, say, talk this over with your family and see what you learn that will help you. And the ones that come back and say, we've talked with our families, we have more questions, it won't be long before we're going to put an evangelist in that path. But the ones who, who, who say, you know, well, I, I've been thinking about this, and you write back, did you talk it over with your family? No, I didn't talk. We just kind of end that, that conversation. We've been trained to convince people to be Christians. That's not our job. Remember the first day? That's God's job is to draw them. That's his job. And when we try to do his job, it never goes well. It's Jesus' job to save them. That's not our job. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them. That's not our job. What's our job? Build an environment where they can listen and learn from God. Now think about all the things you're doing. If you had if all the things you're doing that don't go to building an environment, look at how much time you're going to get back when you start doing building an environment. And this goes on. A new inexperienced insider is more effective than a highly trained mature outsider. 
I was in awe when this 14-year-old black girl who had nothing but one piece of cloth that she wore was starting more churches than any of our missionaries were starting. She was in school, so she started groups at school. She worked, she started groups at work. In her, in her neighborhood where she lived, she started work, work. She was amazing. And quite frankly, I would have probably walked by her, maybe had walked by her hundreds or thousands of times and never noticed her. But she wasn't on my radar to be one of the most productive church planners on the planet. But she kept pushing her way toward us. And I finally got, okay, Glenn, I get this. I need to train this girl. And our team began to train her, and it was amazing to watch what she could do. And because when I couldn't even drive in this area, because if I drove in this area and sent a message that I'm wealthy. So I would I would take public transport, and I'd get down from public transport and walk into this area. But even then, just the the newness of my clothing, the, the shoes I was wearing, I've given away more shoes, folks, let me tell you. People come see. Wow, those are wonderful shoes. In that culture, if somebody admires something, you let them have it. And I ended up going home with a pair of what you call thongs here, flip-flops. And, and they've got my Crocs, so. <laughs> but it's fun. <laughs> it's okay. Start with creation, not with Christ. Christ is the end of the story, not the beginning of the story. The beginning of the story is God created. Now you can do that from John 1, or you can do that from Genesis 1 and 2. But still, if you don't, if you don't understand that creation is where we're to start, and build up that whole understanding of who God is from creator to redeemer, and all the points in between. And that just takes time, that takes effort, but you, you've got to start. Even when I'm with Christian-oriented people, come in, I find they don't understand the nature of God. They don't understand that He's omniscient, that He's omnipresent, that He knows everything, that He created, that He is so holy He can't abide, he can't abide sin in His presence, but that He also has mercy and grace, and, but He's also God of judgment. And you put all that together, it takes a while to build up an image of your Creator who wants to love you and know you. You don't fall in love with a stranger. Not usually. You can get infatuated with a stranger, but you don't fall in love with a stranger. You fall in love with the people that you love and they're around. And you know, my, I can say clearly without any hesitation that the love for my wife and my life right now is stronger than it was 43 years ago. And that's the thing, is that walking with God is important. The next counterintuitive, it's about discovery, not preaching or teaching. It's not about what I do, it's about does the knowledge move. And we know from all the sociological and, and psychological educational studies that monologue or lecturing does not move knowledge. Period. It doesn't. So the teacher's job becomes different. The teacher's job is to get people engaged in the knowledge 
and discussing the knowledge and acting on the knowledge. It's, they call it iron sharpening iron, but, but regardless of what you call it, it's a group process solidifies what you know, and then you go out and practice, and you move it. So it's you see it, you do it, you teach it. You see it, you do it. And again, teaching is not just the oration. It's helping other people see it, do it, teach it. Now, let's look at the Great Commission around that same model. Go, make disciples, baptize into churches, teach them to obey. If you don't go, nothing else happens. If you go, but you don't make disciples, it basically stops with individuals. You go make disciples and you baptize into churches, you'll have churches, but they'll be single generational churches and produce no fruit. You go make disciples, baptize, and teach them to obey everything, then they are going to go make disciples, baptize, and teach obey. You have to have all four of these elements happening before you get reproduction. People learn best what they discover. I mean, all of us are proud of the knowledge we found without anyone helping us find it. I've been a researcher. In, in Kimmy, I was a researcher for, for several years in my, in my degree plan. And to discover things, and then crash to the floor and realize, hey, I didn't discover anything new. This was discovered 250 years ago. But I rediscovered it. But the point was, because I discovered it, I owned it. And when you when you teach and preach the Word of God and don't allow people to discover on their own, you're telling them things, they don't own it. You own it. So don't do that. So the old Bob Newhart, stop it. Just stop it. Obedience is more important than knowledge. Now, it doesn't say that knowledge isn't important. It says obedience is more important than knowledge. Most people already know more than they're doing. If they start doing what they know, they're going to change their lives and the lives of those around them. So it's really important to understand that obedience is more important than knowledge. Let the lost facilitate discovery Bible studies. Boy, is that a counterintuitive? It's one of the hardest things I ever did, was to step back and let a lost person lead. And we used to say, well, need three or four sessions to show them how to do it and then turn it over. Doesn't work. We stopped doing that years ago. You, you from the very beginning, say, hey, I know your family or your group. We've been friends. We've had dinners together. All those kind of things. The relationship is there. But you're the designated leader. And so I'm going to equip you to lead your group. I'm not going to do it for you. It's your group. It's not my group. It's your family. It's not my family. It's your business. It's not my business. So I'm going to be your coach for this process. But you're, you're the only face people see. Disciple to conversion, not convert to make disciples. Everyone in here came, probably came out of con- conversion model. Uh, you know, you believe, you said the prayer, you walked the aisle, you got baptized, and we 
We all went through that. You can't find that model in the Bible. It's not there. The model in the Bible is you, you're, you start walking with an intent to know God. You don't even know where the path is going. When, people, when the disciples started following Jesus, they had no idea it was leading to the cross. Disciple is about getting on a path and staying on it. And there is a destination. I am not higher. I'm just further down the road. And, and it's fascinating when you when you look at this process and, and all the things we've talked about already this morning, when you come to, to Matthew 28, 16, it says the eleven went to the mountain Jesus t- told them to go to. They obeyed. The next statement blows me away. And some of them still doubted. But here's the important part. We focus on the doubt. <coughs> They obeyed even though they doubted. Did you not catch that? They were there. They obeyed what Jesus told them to do even though they doubted. You don't have to have certainty to obey. Prepare to spend a long time but anticipate miracle accelerations. I go everywhere thinking I'm going to be there five, six, seven, eight years. But I tell you what, there's some places I'm only there a few years and sometimes less than a year. And things take off because God showed up and did something special. Nothing changes people's mind like seeing the dead get up. (laughs) Buildings kill church planting. Everywhere when we build a building, or we, or we don't build it, but a building gets built, we know that that line of work is over with. It never reproduces from that point forward. Paid local leaders kill church planting. By that I mean paid by outsiders. If you pay people to be a pastor, you're going to have problems. Now, let's put this in perspective. 100,000 churches in India at one point. There's more now. But I can multiply 100,000 easier than I can. 326,416. But uh, uh, 100,000 churches, the average pastor's salary is $50 a month. Anybody done the math yet? That's $5 million a month to maintain that system. If you are the one paying. How many in here raise five million a month? How many even have a budget of five million a month? I mean that that's a lot. That's sixty million a year. That's the kind of money you're talking about. So what happens when we pay, our work will grow to our capacity to pay and then it stops. And it will die. So where do I invest money? I invest it in training. I invest it in apostolic leaders who are moving, and it's better for them to keep moving than to settle down. So I'll pay for that moving, and I'll pay for the, the stuff that's required for a family to move, who is an apostolic leader, one who's causing new work to become established. But I don't pay pastors. I don't pay evangelists. I don't pay teachers. There, and prophets pretty much 
they again profits live on for the people they work with. This is an important aspect, knowing that if you build a building and you pay a leader, you just say goodbye to that line of work as far as replication is concerned. No personal evangelism so that the masses will hear. And I've already beat that drum enough, you, you know what that means. But the drum I haven't beaten is no mass evangelism so that the masses will hear. Mass evangelism is an inoculation process that keeps people from coming to Christ. Did you hear that? Now, I used to do mass evangelism. And if you read Billy Graham's last autobiography, he laments the fact that all the evangelism he did changed nothing in the churches. And even at at time of response, there was about a 2% response rate, and those people never showed up in churches. We, we see the same thing in our ministry, and ministry we realize that what evangelism was doing was convincing people they were okay without anything. And, and then when you came back through and said, you know, well, I believe in Jesus. I, you know, I've, you know, I've, got, I've got it figured out. I'm done. And go from there. So we, we avoid mass evangelism. We avoid personal evangelism. We expect the hardest places to yield the greatest results. In 1989, when I started, we had one goal to establish a beachhead church in every unreached people group. A beachhead church. One church. That was our goal. We never dreamed that we were we were aiming so low, we were shooting at our feet instead of at the target. <laughs> By the way, you know what the Greek word for sin is? Hamartia. You know what hamartia is? If you draw back your bow and loose an arrow and it misses, the crowd goes, Hey, Martia, you missed. And, and that's sin is missing the mark. It's missing what God wants us to do. So if I'm sitting here and say, okay, this is what I'm going to do, and, and I'm shooting at my feet and I ever hit the mark, I'm sinning. I'm sinning. And... If you're unable to accept miracles, if you're unable to accept the direct intervention of God into your ministry, you probably not, it may happen, but you won't see it, and you won't give God the glory for it. And the Bible says over and over, give to God the glory that is his due. Do not take the glory of God. Do not touch the glory of God. And we need to recognize that miracles are the glory of God, and that glory frightens and draws people at the same time. So, these hardest places we're finding are, are yielding great fruit. The bunch of you, where I started, everyone said, you're going to die. And we were prepared if that's the case, we're going to die because God told us to go there. But when God swept in there, and we were witnessing it, and letting people see it, uh, it changed everything. It changed it very, very fast. And we were seeing that all over Africa. We're getting to see it in the Middle East, uh, Europe, and, and even U.S. I got a prayer letter this morning from one of our workers in the U.S. They say, I'm seeing something I never expected to see. 
and that was God show up and do things to convince people that He was God. And it's amazing things to happen.